Welcome to Snares Book Prep Uncovered, the podcast where we talk to staff, to pupils and to parents to understand more about life at the school. Each episode, I'm joined by Ralph Dalton, head teacher at the school, and usually we speak to a guest, so it's a bit of a three-way conversation. But in this episode, we've got the pleasure of Ralph himself being the guest, and we're going to be talking about life at Snaresbrook Prep School, some of the questions parents might have, and what those answers might be. But first of all, Ralph, good afternoon. How are you today? Good afternoon, Simon. I'm well, thank you. You uh, find me at lunchtime on a Friday, so the Key Stage 2 are just back from their games lessons. And they're outside in the playground uh, enjoying themselves. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good day. And for new parents listening who don't understand what Key Stage 2 is, what year what year group is that? Uh, so Key Stage 2 is years 3, 4, 5 and 6. So their children will be seven between 7 and 11 years of age. Got it. Okay. And we can hear them out in the playground. What's going on in the playground right now? Can you see from your window? I can. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great vantage point, my window. I like, I like to monitor what goes on hang on one second so we have a game of tag going on mm-hmm. very traditional we have some pupils i'm not sure whether they did what they whether they're discussing something or whether they're practicing their lines for um midsummer night's dream which is the year six play but i can see oh. scripts out there and i can see chatting going on so it could be either of those very good sounds very diligent yeah and there's members of staff on duty. I can see those too. I should perhaps say that just in case anyone's worried that they're just left <laughs> to their own devices. Okay. And of course, like you mentioned, it's Friday afternoon. What, what are you up to this weekend? What does a head at a prep school often get up to at the weekend? Well, I, I don't know what a head gets up to at the weekend. Decompress is, I'm sure, will be an answer from a lot of them. I can't actually think. My daughter's taking part in a dance show. So at some point of the weekend, we'll be watching that probably twice because you'd watch it once on Saturday, once on Sunday. Mm-hmm. There'll be some gardening. I'm trying to get the garden jobs that need to be done at this period of the year done mm-hmm. before the sort of spring starts. So there'll be some element of that, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be some element of preparing for, for the next week. So I, I always take a couple of hours on Sunday to prepare for all my meetings for the following week and mm-hmm. go through the diary for the next couple of weeks and just try and make sure I know what the objectives are and how they fit to the long term mm. so you don't get lost in the sort of hurly-burly, you know. Mm. It's a, uh, yeah, a bit like route planning, I guess. You sort of mm. um, just come back to the chart and check where you are. But, so, yeah, that's my, uh, I think, probably my weekend. Mm. Well, let's hope that there's a good bit of sunshine as well. Who knows? Let's just hope that there's not so much rain as we sometimes get. But Ralph, I thought it might be good for for us to talk about life in school. Of course, we know, and of course, you've indicated with Key Stage 2, that the school goes up to children at the end of year six. So they're 11 years old at that stage. What happens to pupils at age 11? What do they do afterwards? So all the pupils will move on uh, to secondary school at that stage. The majority of our pupils will go to an independent school. Some will go to a faith-based school. Some will go to a state school. Very much depends on the families. And that changes year on year. You know, we have very small cohorts and they're quite personal or particular to that group of families. So that's what they will do. In terms of the schools they tend to go to, we we tend to recommend that all our children sit for the sort of five most local senior schools, which are, I always try and do it in order, so there's no preference. So there's Mm -hmm, uh, Bancroft, Brentwood, Chigwell, Forest and St Ed's. They tend to be the five that we start as a sort of starting point for considering Mm -hmm. secondary education. And then depending on the the child that we might suggest other schools or, or more niche schools so it might be schools like city um, we've had children sit for dulwich college before 
Then there are families that are considering moving out a bit. We tend to then recommend the sort of boarding schools that also have a day part to them that are a bit further out. So that's sort of Felsted, New Hall, Bishop Salford College, Haleybury, mm-hmm. maybe Haberdashers, depending if you're sort of going more North London. And then there are other sort of offerings. Again, if you want to replicate the small school personal intimate feel of this school there are local schools like uh, Normanhurst or Park School for Girls you know and and like I say there's sort of those sorts of other options but the majority of our people will go to one of those five that I mentioned to start with. Okay so those five let's just do it that's Bancroft, Brentwood, Chigwell, Forest I'm missing one out aren't I? And St Ed's. St Ed's and I'm guessing that all five of those are independent is that right? Yep, they're all independent schools. And Ralph, of those five schools, roughly what percentage of pupils from Snaresbrook Prep tend to go to one of those? Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I was looking at this the other day, was sort of looking back through the numbers, more of our pupils have gone to Bancroft's than any of those other schools over the period of time I was looking at. Mm. I mean, it can vary, obviously, year to year. But over the last couple of years, I'd say somewhere between 80 and 90 percent have gone or have had offers at Forest I'm just trying to think between well between 60 and 90 percent had offers at Chigwell right okay so actually of those children that sat this year I mean 100 percent of them all the children that sat at Bancroft's were offered places gosh so but it, it does you know it really does depend on the thing that's important to us is finding the right school for the right child. And like I say, mm. all these schools, they have slightly different, there's a, they all have a slightly different feel. They all have slightly different, they suit slightly different children in slightly different ways. So yeah, we, um, I don't know, I'm always quite cautious talking about statistics. I feel like at the end, I need to do that uh, disclaimer they do on financial mm. adverts where they go, you know, sort of past performance is no guarantee of future return or something. <laughs> so uh, oh, I guess there it is. There it is for the, for the podcast. Yeah. And is there generally an expectation that children will go on to an independent school? I mean, you mentioned that some do go to a state school or faith school, but do most tend to go to independent school? Do you, do you know roughly what that split is? I don't know historically what it is. I mean, over the last two years it would be i don't know around 20 percent, maybe slightly less than 20 percent, somewhere between 10 and 20 percent but you know i when you say the expectation i mean families when they join us we tend to ask if they've had any thoughts in terms of secondary options and they tend to come to the school already with a feel that they're either investing in this primary stage of education knowing that that's going to set their child up in in a sort of secondary state school and give them the very best start to that journey. And so they already know that they're going back to the state sector or they happen to live within the catchment area for, you know, a state school that they think really suits their family and their child. Or they'll know that it's an independent, you know, they're, they're going to carry on along the independent school route. Very few are undecided on that. But as to which school... I mean, again, some some parents turn up with a very a very clear idea. I've had parents turn up looking for a place for their three year old, who knew exactly which college of Oxford or university they were going to attend. Oh, in an ideal world, yeah. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> let's just um, <laughs> let's just uh, have a think about that for a moment, you know, and because it, it, I think it's so important that you know you consider the child in this and what suits mm. them and what suits their interest. And I mean, that's why I think, you know, not only are those five, the five schools that I mentioned at the start, 
they all have ever so slightly different offerings. You know, they all have excellent onward pathways. You know, children will do really well at all of those schools. For example, you know, Brentwood um, has an internet, has the IB route, if you want that, or the apprenticeship route that's more developed than the other four. I know Forest has more connections and sends more children to conservatoires or American colleges. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that might be of interest to certain pupils or the difference, obviously, Bancroft is well regarded in terms of its academic reputation and it's sort of Oxbridge. But all these schools have their, their Oxbridge scholars. All these schools do exceptionally well for their pupils. So it's really about looking at where do you think your child is going to feel at home and make the most progress. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the sort of journey that as, as you go through the school, certainly as the child gets towards year five, mm-hmm. those are the conversations we have with parents and try and mm-hmm. guide them or at least give our take. You know, it's not our journey to mm-hmm. decide, but, you know, for what it's worth, we're happy to give our input on our impressions of the child. Mm. And you mentioned IB in there. So this is International Baccalaureate. So I guess if anyone doesn't know what that is and might want to find out, probably best if they hook up with you afterwards on that. Yes, or, um, you know, do a Google search. I'm sure that will also fill you in. But it's a slightly broader approach to that stage of education. A-levels, the criticism is it narrows your focus to three subjects very quickly. Also, the International Baccalaureate takes a slightly more global view of the world, perhaps. So, you know, it's it's different. Different people have different interests. And Mm. again, I think it's particularly interesting. We we seem to have a very mixed cohort of families as well in terms of nationalities. And, you know, I always say we're on a migratory path from Canary Wolf. Essentially, people seem to hook up in the bars at Canary Wolf and then sort of settle down 20 minutes from where they work, which happens to be Mm. Wanstead or Snaresbrook. So Mm. that might offer a different sort of take Mm. uh, for a family. Okay, so let's just go back to these schools then that some of the children go on to. Do they need need to sit an exam to get into these schools or is it just a case of, you know, I'd like my child to go to this school and in in they go? No, I mean, all of these independent schools, you need to sit an exam. So it's often referred to as the 11 plus, which can be slightly confusing because our two local grammar schools also refer to their tests as the 11 plus. But the two tests are slightly slash considerably different and require a slightly different approach. So I guess with these schools, on the one hand, they're charging a a fee and it's it's not going to be a small fee, is it? Let's face it, for the children to come along. But also they need to be at a certain level to pass that entrance exam. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think the way to look at the entrance exams is it really is a way of ensuring that you are in a cohort that is similar because I... I, I, don't, I should say this is my personal educational view. I don't know how much data or evidence backs this up. But I know from a practical point of view, when you're teaching to a class, as it would be if you were presenting any information to any group of people, you would start roughly in the middle. You'd say, right, what do all these people know? Mm. What, do, what, I am, what am I trying to get across to the majority of the group to which I'm you know, speaking? And then you can differentiate that information you know, you can you can add in some extra explanation for those that maybe aren't so familiar with the topic and you can add extra information for those who are interested in more of the detail, perhaps, you know, and that's easy to do. And you can do that, you know, minute in, minute out in a lesson, day in, day out in a lesson. What becomes harder is when you've got very disparate, a very disparate range of knowledge and understanding. 
like I say, when you look at these schools, all the onward paths, they all have children who will go to Oxford or Cambridge if that's what you're interested in, mm. you know, if that's how you judge the value of a school, which actually shouldn't be the only way you judge the value of a school, but it's it's the I think it's one of the easier ones to judge, so it probably mm. gets mm. highlighted. And the worst situation you can be in as a child, I think, is where you are outside that normal range. And I think those entrance tests are there to help ensure that you are in the right setting. Mm. And then what you need educationally to get to those onward destinations is tailored to that. So you do need to be at a certain level, and the level is, is roughly similar across you know, the five We've got lots of years of preparing children for that test. But mm. more than that, also just preparing them so they are ready to see. We know we call it seek and seize all the opportunities when they get to year seven. So we're constantly trying to ascertain what experiences they will need to have had before mm. they get to year seven in each of those schools so that our curriculum is broad and balanced enough to ensure that they have had all those experiences and that they can go in and be confident and sometimes our children are better prepared than than even those children that come through from some of those prep schools the other day i was having a chat with our language teacher and we currently do some latin and actually she bumped into one of her ex-pupils and they were saying how they were really enjoying latin and you know they were feeling really confident in it and doing really well and that's because they'd already done a lot of it you know, before they got to year seven, and that gets them off on that confident foot, mm. if you like, which means mm. they then think, no, I'm good at this, and I fit here, and I belong. So, yeah, so that's what, you know, there is there is a, a standard, but actually, I'm concerned my answer sounds like that's all we, <laughs> we prepare them for. <laughs> but it's interesting to hear that that's one area where you might prepare children for their 11 plus where you prepare them for their next school. How else does the school, Snesbitt Prep, prepare children for that? Well, I mean... Um, Yes, yeah, it's, it's one of the questions parents always ask, you know, even um, as they go through the school, you know, they say, well, how are you going to prepare them for the, the, you know, these exams? And it's like, well, we've been doing it since they arrived in lower foundation. Mm. Everything is, you know, certainly lower and upper foundation about getting ready for year one. And then everything is tracked back from this sort of year seven point. Mm. And then we work out what you would need at each year group, you know, what, what are the key concepts you'll need to understand? What are the key facts that you'll need to know and be able to recall? Mm. What are the key texts or cultural references you'll need to be familiar with? And then we sort of plot those across the year groups so that children are getting those experiences, mm. for want of a better word, in, mm. in manageable chunks. So that's, that's a sort of broad overview in terms of... As they get closer to those exams, we go through a process of revision. We tend to try and get to the end of the English and maths curriculum, mm. particularly those parts of the curriculum that appear in the 11 plus test. We try, we know, we get through those by the end of year five so mm. that then we have a, a period of revision in the first term of year six. And then that then allows us to broaden it out to sort of essay writing other types of leadership things. I mean, our year sixes currently have been doing some economics and that gives them that experience of going on to, to mm. year seven. Mm. And then there are some specific tests like verbal, nonverbal reasoning. We give them some experience of that so that, again, it's not the first time they're walking into an exam room having to work out what to do. So by the time they get to the test, they will know 
They'll know the drill, for example. They'll know what they'll be expected to do. They'll know the types of questions they'll be being asked. They'll know the standard tricks. You know, mm. people who set test papers like to play or, mm. the, the, you know, the, they will know what their standard mistake is, like forgetting to put in the units of measure or mm. um, something like that if it's a maths mm. question. Yeah, I don't know if that, if that sort of gives you an idea of... No, it gives you a great idea of what, what the school does. <laughs> Tell us a bit about parents then. I mean, what can parents do to, to help prepare their children for the 11 plus is it is it all about tutoring that kind of thing i think the again there's there's both this long-term view answer to this question and the short term you know when you get within a a couple of terms of the 11 plus so the long-term answer and area of help is starts with reading starts with taking an interest starts with helping give children concrete experiences and a broad range of experiences that they can call upon. So, you know, for example, we always implore parents to introduce their children to a wide range of fiction, I suppose, uh, and other styles of writing, a wide range of verbal sources, you know, listening to people talk or discuss an issue, take them to a wide variety of places, you know. So many a talk I've said to parents, that take them to the forest at night, mm. give them that experience of just how eerie it is and how it feels and whilst you might you might think well how's that going you know and often i think parents find it hard to work out how that's going to correlate you know correlate to 11 plus success because but it's when you're either reading a comprehension question and Mm -hmm. it talks and you have to make an inference from what's being said so you know that you might say something like oh um the, the character's heart pounded how are they feeling if you've been in a situation where you have been unsure mm-hmm. you will have felt that same thing too and you'll be able to re- sort of call on that memory mm. of that feeling and that's what you then looks like inference likewise if you have to write a story or respond in writing to a stimulus and it's a forest you've got all that experience of 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 the smells or the sounds or the feelings that you were feeling to call upon that will then give your piece of writing that authentic sense of you communicating you know a feeling or or a situation Mm. and give it your own voice because it will be your experience Mm. if you've only ever seen the inside of an aeroplane and a sunny holiday destination Mm -hmm. that's very tricky you know, so it, it can be those things. It can be, you know, it can even be, you know, sort of we say, you know, take them to a wet, you know, a wet, dreary British seaside town, you know, in the middle of winter, just to see how depressing it is mm. or to feel the rain on your face or how cold it is or, you know, because, again, there are all these different experiences. Um, so they can, they, you know, there's all there's all those sort of take them to a castle, take them to a Victorian, you know, I always say get National Trust membership. I'm not sponsored by the National Trust. I'm sure there are other organisations out there that do similar things. Mm-hmm. But that allows you to get a feel for mm. what those buildings are like. And again, that comes to play in history as well as, you know, your English. Encourage your children to take part in activities you are doing, particularly around sort of measure or calculation. So, for example, you know, children really struggle knowing whether they should use millimetres, metres, kilometers so when you're traveling you know just having a talk about you know how many kilometers have we traveled or you've got to measure something at home you know you get the tape measure out and get them involved you know you probably don't need somebody to hold the other end of the tape measure Mm. 
but get them involved in it show them talk them through what you're doing and then as they get older you flip it around and you hold one end and you get them to read you the numbers mm. those types of concrete experiences that are really difficult for a school to replicate mm. so so that's sort of the the sort of long-term things they can do when you get closer to the 11 plus area so sort of year five i think key things are one don't stop their interests so some of the worst things you can do is you hear children say things like oh well i don't i don't play the guitar anymore because you know i've got my tutor or i'm doing extra homework Mm. but actually these schools want children that are bringing more than just academic interest so one keep those those up um, you know, it doesn't have to be a music or a sports. It can be guides, you know, scouts, those sorts of things, other interests. Keep those up is one piece of advice. Don't avoid the pressure. Actually, children generally don't feel as much pressure as the parents because actually the, the children are in control of the process for starters, whereas mm-hmm. as a parent, you're not. And that's a really uncomfortable place as a parent, particularly a successful parent mm-hmm. who's very used to, to being able to control most areas of your life. That's what you spent your whole lifetime doing. And also by exploring the options of the schools I think helps that too when you can see actually there isn't one destination for your child your child can thrive at various different options that that helps take the pressure off both the parent and the child you know nobody's going to go and perform well if they're you know if if this is it do or die Mm. so they can do that I think listen to the school in terms of what it is it is saying to you rather than either giving into peer pressure or you know thinking I've got to go down the tutoring route everybody's tutoring tutoring has its place um, mm-hmm. I'm probably a bit more outspoken on this and other heads I think tutoring has its place and that place is time limited uh, small amounts and for specific reasons mm-hmm. um, so if you know if the school is saying to you oh look actually they don't know their their number facts Qmon might be a great way to do that if you as a parent don't have the time or the skills or whatever that's a great option but endless hours of cumon is not going to help somebody who already knows those neither is endless hours of tutors that do practice papers with children that's not helpful just constantly doing practice papers where they end up learning the answers rather than knowing how to get there or they mm. end up learning a process to an answer rather than the actual concept behind the question because it's highly unlikely they Some of those questions they're going to see again, but the ones that are going to stump them are the ones they haven't seen. Mm. And if if they're doing everything through process, they won't recognise what knowledge they need to bring Mm. to answer the question. Mm. That can also get in the way of doing the work that the school is setting. Schools spend five hours a week with these children, one hour with a tutor who's working at odds can actually undermine a lot of that. Mm. You know, in our own case, we're, you know, we're always working from the concrete through the pictorial to the abstract in maths. If you've got a tutor that is teaching process and methods of doing things, mm. that can undermine what we're trying to do. So mm. that's one, one area you can help as a parent. Mm. But nothing beats helping children learn their number facts, you know, their fraction decimal percentage conversions, Nothing helps. Again, when they're really young, going back to the other end, not rushing too quickly to get to to what looks like formal maths, but working working with children, spotting, um, it's called subitizing. So knowing the number of something. So when you put seven objects on the table, you can look at it and go, oh, there's seven of them without counting them. You go, oh, there's about six, seven. Hmm. And you can do that up to, you know, 50, 60 hundred it'd be much better to spend time with young children doing that than getting them to count by rote 
mm. um, or getting them to be able to read the digits as 3,427, but not really have a feel for just how much bigger 3,000 is than one of it. Mm. Yeah, so it's all those, it's, um, those sorts of things. And I tell you, the other thing often parents underestimate is how valuable reading to their child is, you know, mm. their, their 10, 11-year-old child. Reading a text that their child can't read and then talking about the ideas or listening to a, you know, a podcast or a radio program and talking about the content of it that's invaluable to that child because it, it's it's it introducing to a whole range of vocabulary and an understanding of how the vocabulary is used that otherwise they couldn't get themselves even if they can decode the words like if they're reading the book they can decode those but they can't necessarily understand them or understand the nuance or the subtlety that maybe you know the author is trying to get across so mm-hmm. um, those 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 are all sorts of ways that parents can help Ralph, this is all good conversation and and each of these different elements could easily be a podcast episode on their own, but I'm conscious (laughs) of time and bringing us to a close for this episode. But if anyone's heard anything and wants to get in touch with you about any of these subjects, how should they go about doing that? Well, if you're at the school, catch me at the school gates. I'm always out on the forecourt welcoming everybody in or drop the office an email at office at Mm snaresbrookprep.org and uh, leave a telephone number and I'll happily give you a call. Okay. All right. Well, let's bring this one to a close now. But for anyone listening, if they wanted to find out more about the school, just check out Snesbrook Prep online. Just search that on Google and you'll find the school super quickly. But our next episode's coming out soon. So in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. And we'll look forward to catching up with you in the next one. Thanks very much and bye for now. Ralph, do you want to say goodbye as well? I always do. Yeah, bye for now. <laughs> bye for now. Bye bye.